One thing that is certain about life is that you'll experience times of uncertainty. Pastor Snook and his dear wife are traveling through a dark valley right now. During this journey together, God is teaching them many things. Tune in as Pastor Snook shares with you some life principles that he is learning in this new series called When Cancer and COVID Collide, Things I'm Learning in the Darkest Valley of My Life. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, let me just say thank you to so many of you who wrote to the guest speakers. I have had numerous of them, never, number of weeks ago we gave you the addresses and asked you to, asked you to uh, take and write them. And many of you did because I've had numerous of them who have thanked me for your gratitude for them coming. And so thank you for doing that. And if you haven't had a chance, I hope you'll dig that out and, and uh, go ahead and write them and uh, just let them know. And we ask you just to write a couple of them. I had one lady came to me afterwards who has arthritis in her hand and said that she wrote every single one of the guest speakers and then she showed me her hand. And she has arthritis big time in her hand. So I am grateful and thankful for so many of you have taken that extra measure to show your gratitude. Well, Good Friday and Easter weekend is right around the corner. Let me just say that our Good Friday service will be at 7 o'clock on that Friday evening. It'll be a short, concise service. We will be having baptism on that service. We'll also be observing the Lord's Supper. If there's one thing that I have uh, regretted, and that is the lack of times that we've had the Lord's Supper of late and in this past year because of COVID and all of the rest. And so this coming uh, on that Friday, Good Friday, we'll be having baptism, observing the Lord's Supper, a special intimate time to reflect on the cross of Jesus Christ and what allowed us and bought us with his blood. And we will then be just giving a very short Challenge. So I hope you'll be here for the Good Friday service at 7. And then Easter Sunday morning, we will be having two services, 9 o'clock, 10.30, our normal times. We'll not be having ABF. But I trust that as many people, most people will go to church somewhere. Invite them to come here to a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Now, if they already go somewhere to a Bible-preaching church, great, fantastic. And uh, there are uh, plenty of them around. But we trust that if they are new to church, that you'll invite them to come and be a part of this service. Well, you know that, uh, by the way, let me just say that some of you have been visiting with us for some time, and I still have not had a chance to even meet you on a personal basis. I hate that. Uh, I don't like that, but let me just say that as I look out into the faces of many of you that are new, that it's a blessing to me to have you here, and uh, I trust that you will feel free to contact the church office uh, or any of our staff to just find out if you have any questions at all about for what First Baptist is all about. I always want people who visit to know what this church stands for and what we are. And, and uh, so feel free to contact the church, but we're so glad that you have chosen to visit here. Been in a series for the last uh, four weeks. Today's the fifth week. Next week, I'll be preaching just one principle to finish out this series that I have been preaching. 
And uh, you know the title of the series, if you've been here, When Cancer and COVID Collide. By way of review, let me just give you the principles that we've already looked at. First of all, one day can change your life forever. If you have not found that out in your life, you will find that out. There will be a time in your life that you will see that a day can change your life forever. Number two, I am not as strong as I thought I was. And I'll tell you, I'm not as strong as I thought I was emotionally. I'm not as strong as I thought I was, um, you know, in a lot of ways. But I want you to remember that that point really is where God wants us to be. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. You're not as strong as you thought you were. It was easy for me to think I was a little more um, independent than what I found and am finding that I am. But that's where God wants us to be. We need to know that we are uh, dependent people. We're dependent on God every single day. And so, number two, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Number three, comfort in the valley comes from the word. If you want real comfort, listen, you can get comfort from your friends. You'll get comfort from your family. You'll get comfort from the people that you rally, rally around you when you go to church. But I want to tell you that none of those alone will sustain you. What will sustain you is understanding that comfort comes from the Word of God, God's infallible, inerrant truth, while the battle at the same time is fought on our knees. We've got to have the Bible. We've got to have prayer. Number five, number four, my affections need to be more on eternity. I've got to stop uh, uh, thinking so much about what's going to happen tomorrow and next week and and I've got to be thinking and dwelling on eternity. Number five, church is more than a privilege. It's a necessity. Church isn't just something that oh, I think I'll go today. Church ought to be the very core and the very part of your life. Church is more than a privilege. It's a necessity. Number six, people are the hands and feet of Jesus. People are the hands and feet of Jesus. Listen, you need the people of God, and the people of God need you. By the, by, what I mean by that is uh, the church you need, and the church needs you. Number seven, we saw last week, don't try to understand God's ways, but trust his heart. There's so much in life you're never going to understand about God. There's so much in life I'm not going to fully grasp about God, but I better continue to trust his heart. Number eight, we saw last week, look for the light in the dark. When the dark days come and the dark valleys come, we've got to look for what God brings our way. God gives us his benefits. Look for them. Today, when days are dark, I've got to say, Lord, show yourself to me. I don't need some grandiose, great big God thing, but I need to have something that God shows that this is my blessing today. And number nine, take one day at a time. It's all that I can handle. Now, if you're visiting, let me just say this. Again, I wrote these principles for me, okay? I did not think when I wrote these principles down that I was going to be sharing it with you. But I came back days later and realized that the things that I have written down for me in the darkest valley of my life truly can apply to everybody here. And I hope that you have found 
that they are applicable to your life. By the way, I am so grateful and thankful for you sharing with me. I had an email sent to me this week, and the email shared with me how that somebody had doesn't go to church here, doesn't live in this area, but somebody that had found out they had cancer. They heard the sermon last week online and trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. We had numerous people last week right here that opened their heart to trust Christ, and we praise God for that. All right, you ready? Number 10, the 10th principle. I wrote it down for me, okay? But found out, hey, it'll apply. And that principle is, I love my wife even more than I knew. I love my wife even more than I knew. I always knew I loved her deeply. In fact, I told one of the guest uh, preachers uh, that came here and talked with me and tried to be an encouragement to me. I, I told them, I said, you know, I knew when God gave me joy that he was, uh, maybe I, I thought there might be a chance that God might use me because he wouldn't waste her on me if it weren't the case. And I knew that I love joy, I always have, but I found in the deep, dark valley of my life that I loved her even more than I knew. You know, God has provided so much for this life. Think about for a moment the blessings that God has given for us to enjoy. I mean, the mountains, the beaches, uh, the, the people, the church, uh, just creation, work is a blessing. All of these things and so many things God has given to us to benefit us. But one of those things is relationships. God has given to us in life relationships. They're one of God's gifts. Did you know, hey, one of those relationships is siblings. Now, you might not think so, but siblings are a blessing. It's a relationship God gives. Parents and children, oh, the blessing that kids can bring into a mom and dad's lives and the great blessing that they are. And by the way, kids, the great blessing that God has granted to you to have a mom and a dad. Think about the grandparent-grandchild relationship. You'll never know how great that is till you experience it. I saw a t-shirt just the other day. Man, how great it was. I loved it. It said, guy was wearing it. He said, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my granddaughter, <laughs> you know. Oh man, that's, that's probably very true. You know, there's something special about the relationship of a grandparent and a grandchild. Friends, the Bible says a friend can stick closer than a brother. But did you know the greatest relationship that God gives in life is the husband-wife? It is the greatest relationship that God gives. It is the most intimate and it is the most special relationship on earth. God called the relationship of a husband and a wife and the only relationship that he said this about, he said about the husband and wife that they are two people who become one flesh. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Ladies, you are your husband's blessing. Let me say that again. You are your husband's blessing. You are so very valuable to your husband. 
when you as a lady, a woman, a wife, when you take your position as a wife seriously, and when you see that relationship the way God sees that relationship, and when you take on your position the way God tells you to take it on, you are a double blessing to that man. A double blessing. So men, I want to talk to you today, okay? It's not fair, because I'm not going to talk to the wives about this principle. i got two other principles afterwards, all right? But let me talk to you guys. What are we supposed to be to that female woman that God has called our wife? How are we to love our wives? How how are we to do that? Did you know God gives us a standard? God gives you and me a standard. God gives to us a picture. Okay, okay. Paul gives us that standard in Ephesians chapter 5. For how I'm to love joy and how you are to love that woman that God has given to you called your wife. How are we to do that? You ready for this, guys? We're to love our wives like Jesus Christ loves his church. Now listen, that's a mighty tall order. That's a really tough order. That's not easy to do because Jesus is Jesus. And how in the world are we called and supposed to fulfill that call to love our wives like Jesus Christ loves the church? Well, it's God's standard. It's our goal to love that way. How did he love the church? Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. Here it is. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Here it is, wait. And gave himself for it. So what kind of love is it that we are to have? There's a lot of different verses here. Can I just give you three? First of all, verse 25 is passionate love. With a passion. Our example is that we are to love our wife like Jesus Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He died for the church. Men, we can't wait until our wife gets everything together before we decide we're going to really love them now because they're lovable. We can't do that. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, you get your act together and then I'll show you how much I love you. That's not what he did. He loved us and brought us to a place to get our act together. Most men, they date in order to do what? Marry, right? They date in order to marry. Most men shower, uh, uh, they, they shower a woman with love so that they can get her to say two words, I do. I mean, they date her, they shower her with love, and they show, and then mission accomplished. Did you know the Bible, however, shows a different picture? Different picture. You see, after a wife says, I do, then we are to spend the rest of our lives showering her with love. It's different. It's not the way our culture shows us. Husbands, we are to give ourselves up for our wives. 
No sacrifice, no love. The first way to word of love is passionate love. But notice with me verse 26, guys. Verse 26. That Jesus might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Guys, you want to know what our chief assignment in marriage is? Our chief assignment. You want to know what it is? To make our wives a more radiant Christian. That's our assignment. To cause our wives to be a more radiant Christian. There's only one way that I can fulfill that assignment. I can't make or cause my wife to be a more radiant Christian unless, first of all, I'm striving to be a radiant Christian, right? I mean, how can I cause her to be a radiant Christian if I'm not interested in being that kind of a believer? I've got to be strong for my wife. here's, Here's how you can think about it. A malnourished man is worthless in combat, right? A malnourished man is absolutely worthless in hand-to-hand combat. I have to be strong spiritually in order to lead my wife to be strong spiritually. So I got a tough question for you guys. And And listen, I'd rather preach this just to the guys. And ladies, don't go home and, and re-preach it to them. Please don't do that. Because you'll probably find a sermon waiting for you. And that doesn't help. Because people, uh, listen, you'll never know the number of people that get in the car after a retreat or after a sermon on the home and they can't even get home before they start on one another. That's not the purpose of it. The best thing you can do, ladies, is get out of the way and let God do a work on your husband. Now, tough question, guys. Really tough question. Is your wife a more godly Christian because of you? That's a tough one, isn't it? Is your wife a more godly Christian because of you. Now, time out. What if your wife has been saved for 20 years and you just became a believer? We are still called to love our wives and to lead our wives. Guys are to be the leader. And it may mean that you have to come alongside and really begin to learn God and walk with God and know God and live for God. And that if she's a godly, biblical woman, She'll understand that you're coming alongside now to take on your right responsibility to be the leader of the home. Guys, we're called to love, we're called to lead. Those two things are in Ephesians chapter five. We lead, how do we do that? By our walk. We lead by our walk, but that's not enough. We also have to lead by our talk. I know some guys, and man, they walk with God, but they never teach their kids and their wife. They never talk. They don't have family devotions. They don't pray with them. They don't. We've got to talk it. We've got to walk it. Walking is good, and it's necessary, but walking's not 
alone good enough. We've got to share and teach. Teaching alone is not good enough if we don't walk it. So we've got to walk it and talk it. There have been times, Joy and I were talking this week, there were times where she's, she's, she reads her Bible, she prays faithfully every day, always has. There have been times during this journey that we've been on that she can't even pick up her Bible. That's how weak she's been. Some of you have been through radiation and chemo, and she went through a 12-hour surgery, which was, the doctor said there's not a more complicated surgery that can be done than the one she had. And then she had to go through radiation and chemo. If you've gone through that, you know that there are days you can't put one foot in front of the other. And there have been days where she could hardly muster up the strength to take and get her Bible out. You know what that meant? I better be observant. I better open my Bible and read for her and read to her. I better come alongside and know what it is to pray with her. That doesn't mean it's a 15 to 30 minute prayer meeting. But know how to come alongside and make her and hope that I can bring more strength to her in her weakest times. There's a third kind of love that we find. Verse 28. Verse 28, read it with me. Ephesians chapter 5. So ought men to love their wives like they would love their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord does the church. Guys, there must be persevering love persevering, love that continues on in the good times and in the bad. We are to love our wives like we would love and take care of our own bodies. Now, I want to do something very quickly. I want to rehearse the traditional normal vows that most people said at their wedding. Now, I get it. Some of you came up with your own vows, and that's great. And some uh, recited their vows to one another, and that's good. Some of you just said the typical vows behind uh, the, uh, uh, you recited them from the one who was officiating. But typical vows go something like this. To have and to hold. What are the next phrase? What's the next words? From this day forward. What is that? Commitment. Who came up with those? Those words were taken from what the biblical principle is from God's word. We are to be committed to one another. For better, for worse. You're gonna have good days and you're gonna have ordinary days and you're gonna have some days that aren't all that great. For better, for worse. Joy and I, we didn't recite vows after the pastor. We memorized the vows and said them to one another. She left this one out. I don't know if she did it on purpose or for rich or for poorer. She just totally, I caught it. In sickness and in health. I've done things for joy that she nor I ever thought would have to be done. But we said those vows to one another decades ago in sickness and in health. To love and to what? Cherish. To love and to cherish. 
till death us do part. I want to tell you, my friend, the grass is not greener on the other side. Persevering love provides, it protects, and it preserves. And guys, that's the love we're called to with our wives. When your wife hurts, you should hurt. Somebody asked me this week, how you doing? And we got talking about good days and bad days. And I'll be honest with you, if Joy's having a good day, I'm having a good day. If Joy's having a really rough day, my day's not all that great. Because I hurt because she hurts. You know why? Listen, we're one flesh. And honestly, isn't that kind of interesting? Because Jesus actually said that Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Friend, your wife needs, and your wife deserves your attention. Deserves it. What kind of attention? How do we give our wives attention? First of all is verbal assurance. Listen, guys, I'm not Mr. Romantic, okay? So most of you guys aren't either. Some guys, they just, man, their words just flow. And it's like, really? It's almost like gag me, (laughs) you know? (laughs) For me to be romantic, I need to write it down in my day timer and go home and remember to do it. (laughs) But you know what my wife needs? Verbal assurance. Your wife needs your verbal assurance when you're healthy. And if you can't give it to her when you're healthy, you really think you're going to give it to her when she's not? You need to speak it. She needs you to tell her how beautiful she looks. And by the way, ladies, if you build all of your time on your outward looks, you're going to eventually become disappointed. <laughs> Took my daughters. You better be careful, man. <laughs> I don't know who that was, but you know what? Uh, yesterday, I took my daughters to uh, the mall. We were out, and I, buy them, I bought them an Easter dress every year since they were little girls. And so I left Joy, LaDonna was with Joy, and we went to the mall, and one of my daughters walked into, the, and she came out to show me the dress that she had just tried on, and one woman, she was probably, I don't know, in her late 40s, and she had the same dress in her arm, and she said, oh, brother. <laughs> she said, forget this dress, because she saw my daughter walking out, who's a lot younger. And one of my other daughters said, no, that would look really good on you. And she said, you're crazy. (laughs) See, there's going to come a day where where you've got some wrinkles. You can do all the Botox you want. All they have to do is look at your arms. (laughs) They can't do Botox everywhere. (laughs) Ladies, you better work on the inner beauty too. 
so that your husbands one day see that you're a beautiful person inward, and when you're a beautiful person inward, they'll always look at you as, as a beautiful woman outward. Guys, we better be verbally assuring. She needs you to tell her. She needs you to share with her. She needs you to verbalize with her. Do you know how many times my wife and I, we used to greet at the door under the, uh, under the canopy when uh, we were over in the other one and, and, and my wife would be there and I'd be there and a woman would walk in with her husband and I would say to her, hey, you got a new outfit on today. Do you know how many times she looked at me and said, it's nice that somebody observed and saw it? And they were serious. Guys, we got to be verbally assuring we need to not only speak it, we need to show it. How do we do that? The way Jesus said, we need to love and lead. And if guys, we say, you know what is amazing to me? The guys that can be the CEOs of companies to lead those companies to successful companies, but can't lead their own wife. And they're everywhere. We're called to lead our families, guys. Hey, it takes time to be successful, doesn't it? I mean, you can be a great athlete, but you're never going to rise to the top unless you really give it time. It takes time to be successful in a career. It takes time to be successful at a hobby. I'm not so great at sports anymore. I don't give it any time. It takes time to be successful in a home. There's only, only so much time God gives us in every day and everybody's equal with it, 24 hours. You and I as men need to make a choice of what's going to come first because we can't have it all. You can't have it all. You can try, you'll kill yourself. You can't have it all. And that's true, by the way, whether you're a CEO or whether you're a pastor. Do you know how many pastor friends of mine are no longer pastors? You know why? Because they put the church ahead of their family. And there are casualties everywhere in the ministry because they put their church in front and ahead of their family in every way, attention and time and all the rest. And you know where it got them? They lost both the church and many times their family. Let me tell you something. I love this church. I love this church. You don't know how much I love this church. My wife loves this church. I left her this morning crying. I didn't, I said, Joy, are, are you hurting? Are you, what's going on? She just wanted to be here. She can't be here, obviously. We love this church. We love the people of First Baptist Church of Glen Estee. But this church is Jesus' bride. Joy is my bride. And no pastor, no matter how long he has served a church and pastored a church, should look at the church as his bride because it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Jesus Christ. But God says, joy is your bride. I found through this 
greatest trial of my life that I loved my wife more than I knew and I always knew I loved her tremendously. Principle number 11. Some days I can only press on and keep on keeping on. Stay with me. Some days all I can do is press on and keep on keeping on. Now, before I share some verses with you, let me give you four stages of the Christian life, okay? Y'all with me? There are four stages of the Christian life. The first stage is what I would call salvation. I'm studying right now 1 John chapter, uh, 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 chapters 1 through 5. I'm studying that book, and I'm journaling in that book, and that book is so good. It starts out with salvation. Many of you, all of you, if you're a child of God, you knew when that day came. It wasn't a process. It was a birth It was a spiritual birth. Some of you have never opened your heart to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so you've never come into the Christian life. But most of us, many of us here in this church have. We've opened our heart. We understood that there's nothing I can do to earn my way to heaven. I can't be good enough. I can't give enough money. I can't be faithful enough. I can't save myself. That's why Jesus died on a cross. Jesus Christ went and he died on the cross. He hung there because he bought me. He bought me. He purchased me. He saw me as a sinner. He sees you as a sinner. And he saw that the only way you'll ever get to heaven is through his death on the cross. When you realize that, you realized, I need Jesus. When you embrace him, receive him, that's salvation. By the way, the very first thing God commands of us after we get saved is to be baptized. We talked about vows. What is it we do right after we say our vows? We put on a ring. Why? Because it identifies us as married. It's an identification piece. Baptism isn't part of salvation. Baptism is something we do after salvation. Baptism is something that we do in order to say, you know what? I belong to Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm putting on a wedding ring for him. I'm going to be baptized. And we identify ourselves before people as a child of God. That's why we don't get back. I've had people call me at the office literally through the years and said, Pastor, um, can you baptize me? When? Tuesday, 2 o'clock. No. No, I can't. Unless we have all kinds of people come to see you baptized because baptism is us showing the world that we belong to Jesus Christ. That's why We baptize in a service. It doesn't matter if it's a small church of 10 people or a church of 10,000 people. We do it in order to identify ourselves as a child of God. It's the first thing God commands for you to take and identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. Second step, what do we do? There's the sanctification. Stay with me quickly. Sanctification. We begin to get grounded in the Christian faith after we say, I do, to Jesus. We begin to get grounded in that Christian faith. We have a strong desire to learn more and obey more and get, listen, First John, you know what it's about? It says if you don't obey the Lord and you don't follow his commandments, it's a sign you were never saved. And so we begin to walk with God. And we grow in him and we learn. The third step, stage, is service. 
We attend church regularly and we begin to serve through the local church. The danger in this step, in this stage, is that serving God is not always the same as knowing God. You can serve and yet still not really know him deeply. And that's why there's a fourth stage. We'll call that the storm stage. Storms is when we experience the dark night of the soul. Storms are where we understand the deepest valleys that we face. It's a season when we feel alone. It's a season in life where we feel maybe abandoned. It's a season in life where maybe we feel like we're scared out of our minds. It's a season where maybe God doesn't make so much sense. But here's where 1 Peter tells us we grow more and more. By God's grace, we begin in this storm stage to say, Lord God, if you loved me so much in your suffering, I'm going to love you in my suffering. These are the times in the storm stage, you with me? Where we need to press on. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 is a great verse for that, and I'm going to come back to that, but please listen carefully. You know what Paul said when he was in prison? He said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of things that could have caused Paul to quit. I mean, you, you know, a lot of things could have caused him to quit. One, one thing is his past accomplishments. I mean, the Apostle Paul accomplished a whole lot. He started churches all over. People were being saved all over. He was discipling those people everywhere. He could have stepped back and said, look at what I've done, and stopped pressing on because of all his past accomplishments. I'll tell you what else could have caused him to s- cease to press on or cease to just really walk with God, his past failures. Let me let you in on a secret. Uh, I've, I've, I've been in ministry quite a while, and I can look back and I can say, well, I've seen God do this, 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 and this. You want to know what could get me to quit quicker than anything? My failures. When I have disappointed the Lord and thereby disappointed me, And there are many people that have stepped back and said, I'm a casualty because, man, you don't know how I failed God. You know what? The Bible says in Proverbs, if I faint in the day of adversity, my strength is small. And there are times where we must get up and just press on. There are things that could have caused him, like past struggles, Oh, you talk about a man, if we, as we've discussed, he were, here was a man who had walked with God and he had faced beatings. He had ended up in prison. He was one time stoned and left outside the city because the people thought he was dead. There were times where he faced death often, the Bible says. He labored to extreme. He even was shipwrecked one time trying to go on to a destination to preach the gospel. Those are the things I don't get. I'm trying to serve God, you know, and I'm already having hardship, and then all of a sudden some, my back goes out. Lord, my back? Now? Really? 
Paul was going, and he was going to the destination, and he got shipwrecked. You know what he did? He pressed on. How? By keeping his eye on the goal, on the prize, like our principle number four that said, set your affections more on eternity. Set affections on the goal. Set affections on the finish line. Most of you, if you've been here very long, you know I love sports. I love them. I like to watch them. I like to go to them. Always played sports, involved in them. Did you know Paul must have loved them too? Because so many times in his verses, he used the, uh, the explanation, the analogy of sports. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all uh, in Corinth? He, he, he was writing to the Corinthians. He said, man, the Corinthian games were amazing. They were huge. They were like the Olympic games. He said, those that run in a race, they run all. But one receives the prize in the Corinthian games. And then he said, you as Christians, run that way so that you may obtain. He said, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But as God's people, we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's he talking about? A race, a goal line, a finish line. Do you know what the word press means, by the way? It means crushing grapes. Crushing them. I press. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It's the verse Joy and I chose when we got married as our life verse together. Only let your behavior, your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether Paul said, I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast with one spirit, with one mind. Here's our word, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Colossians 1.29, whereunto I also labor, Paul said, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Hey, Walter Payton. How many of you remember Walter Payton? Come on, get your hands up if you do. You're all dating yourself. Walter Payton, one of the greatest running backs, if not the greatest running back to ever play football, NFL. Amazing, called Sweetness. Go look up on YouTube, it's some of his runs. Unbelievable. You know what? We know that he was a great running back. One of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, played for the Chicago Bears. You know what we don't know? Unless we study it, his training regiment. In the off season, he would call it the hill. In Mississippi, He'd get track guys who have tons of endurance. He'd say, come on, train with me. He'd burn them out. He was interviewed and somebody asked him about his training regimen. He talked about the hill and they showed the hill. And then Walter Payton said, I heard it with my own ears there. He said, what I try to do every day, doing the hill, I try to kill myself. Kill yourself? What are you talking about? He's saying, I try to burn myself out. He used to run in the sand. Figure that one out. You, you know what that is? That's pressing on. Walking with God takes pressing on. Listen to me. 
Walking with God is not a walk in the park. It's not. You think it's a walk in the park, you will be sidelined very, very quickly. It is not a walk in the park. That's why Jesus said there's a cross to bear. Pick up your cross and follow me. That's why, listen, when Jesus Christ in his three years, he had people that followed him, he, could, he couldn't get into the city. He'd, tell, he'd, he'd heal somebody and he'd say, don't tell anybody. Why? Because he couldn't get from place to place. Towards the end, before he died on the cross, there were far less people following him then than there was when he first started his public ministry three years earlier. You know why? Because there's a cross to bear. And there's going to be a cross to bear as a child of God if you really, truly want to walk with God. I listened to Johnny Hunt's evangelism podcast. He comes out once a month. I listened to, you ready for this? A 16-year-old girl this past week. She's a cheerleader at a public high school. She's led all kinds of her classmates to Jesus Christ. You know what she said? One of the questions was, how do you do and get to a place like that? You know what she said? You have to put aside things like striving to be popular. Now, she's a cheerleader. I'm sure everybody in the school knew her. But she said, that can't be my goal. My goal has to be to walk with God and bear my cross. Let me just be honest with you. You want an easy Christian life? You're not going to have it. You'll be a casualty. It takes picking up your cross and following Jesus Christ. It takes pressing on. I shared with you chemo and radiation can about zap you. It about takes you under. There were days where Joy could not get out of her recliner. And many of you have been through this, and you know. She had to make herself get up. She had to make herself put one foot in front of the other to get to the restroom. Spiritually, there will be days where you can hardly put one foot in front of the other. Spiritually, there will be days when you can hardly pick up your Bible. You know what you better do on that day? Pick up your Bible. There will be days where you hardly feel like praying, let alone, you know what you better do? Pray. There will be days where you feel like, I don't want to go to church. I don't care to get up and get ready. You know what you better do? Get up and get ready. Press on. There's going to come storms in our lives where the only thing we can do is press on. It's a strenuous race. It's a grueling fight. Last week I went home. I don't know why, I was so tired. Preached twice and I don't, maybe I'm out of shape, I don't know. I know I'm out of shape physically. And I went home and I just was ready to sit down and eat. And Joy and LaDonna were watching, uh, I don't Gaither, Gaither, uh, Penrod. We're watching a special on Penrod, I think that's his name. And I sat there and I ate and it went off and I saw a special on Frazier Ali, 1972, I think. First fight, Madison Square Garden. I love boxing. I used to go before it was on pay-per-view and all the rest. I used to go downtown St. Louis when I was a youth pastor. I mean, thousands and thousands and watch it in the arena. You know who I watched it with? I was the youth pastor. I watched it with my pastor. We saw every fight. 
Frazier and Ali just about killed each other. Go, go, go home, guys, and, and just watch part of it. I, I, I was in awe. I, I was shocked. I couldn't believe they were still standing. And they did interviews of different sportscasters and gave information that nobody ever knew before. And I heard something. I never knew it. And the other guys on the, didn't know it. He said, Frazier won the fight, by the way. And he said, Frazier almost died after that fight. They said Ali was in his motel room. They both were in the hospital. Ali got out. Frazier's still in. And when, Frazier was, or when Ali was told that Frazier was close to death, Ali fell out of his chair and put his head on the floor and said, I'll never fight again if he dies. Intimate personal things that nobody ever knew. There's going to be times where you feel like your brains are getting busted up. And there'll be days when you don't know if you can go on. You know what we better do? Press on and keep on keeping on. One last thing. Next week, it'll be just one principle. You'll be out. It'll be a five-minute sermon. (laughs) One last thing today. We are never alone when we feel alone. We are never alone when we feel alone. Listen to what Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's the last chapter written by the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he said in verse 16. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Can you imagine? Nobody stood, Paul. Nobody stood with Paul. He said, but all men forsook me. And then he said this. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding... The Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. As Joy and I talked recently, she said all I could do at times where I was being wheeled away to the surgery or for the two weeks that I was in the James Cancer Center. I told you last week one of the great pieces of blessing that God gave to join me was somehow a God thing, an exception for me to get in there. I can't tell you the number of days I went into that hospital room and I'd greet her and all day long she didn't have the strength to say much of anything to me. That's okay. I was with her and she was with me. There were so many times where she said all I could do was just rehearse in my mind the memory verses that I've committed to memory. And I would quote those verses. And I would hang on to those verses in my hand. I understand what she means. Our journey is together, but our journey is different. There were times and days where I felt desperate. Desperate. 
and yet at the same time felt God's presence. That doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense. Days where you feel desperate and at the same time feel God's presence? It's hard to explain. And when you feel desperate, you've got to just meditate on what you already know and what you have memorized. I wonder if something happened and, you know, two, four, six, eight, ten, 12, 14. I wonder if 14 of us got thrown into prison one day and could have no Bible. I wonder how much Bible we could come up with. To live off of the rest of our lives in prison. Friend, I've tried to share with you it is crucial if you're a child of God, that you begin to grow and walk with God and read God's word and fellowship with him and serve him because one day you're going to get to a place where you're desperate and if you don't have God's word here and here, you're in rough shape. We have the assurance of God's presence. How? Through his word. Loneliness is a very real thing. The psalmist put it this way. He said in 107 verse 2, listen to how he said it. He said, I watch and I'm like a sparrow alone on the rooftop. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've seen it. Think about it. You look out and, and you see a sparrow all by himself, all alone. The Word of God has so many great analogies. He said, that's the way I feel. I feel like I'm a sparrow up in the top of a roof all alone. Warren Wearsby, the great Bible scholar, he said it this way. Read it with me on the screen. He said, like many other feelings in our lives, it's easier to experience it than it is to define it. He's talking about loneliness. He said, I know what it is. I have a hard time defining it. And then he tries Loneliness is being all by yourself even when you're surrounded by other people. Loneliness is a feeling of isolation even in the midst of a crowd. Or if you feel unwanted, you feel unneeded. You feel as though there is nothing to live for. You feel as though no one really cares anymore. That's loneliness. Loneliness eats away at the inner person. It zaps you of your strength. It robs you of your hope. Loneliness puts a wall around you no matter how free you may be. There's a lot of things that cause loneliness. Listen, a lot of things cause loneliness. A feeling of rejection can cause great loneliness. Maybe you've been burned in a love relationship whether it's a husband-wife relationship, a parent-child relationship, a friend relationship. Oh, that rejection can truly come across and cause you to feel lonely. Maybe it's a sense of insecurity. 
There are a lot of people who, who at times they just have no self-worth and the loneliness that sets in. Maybe it's the loss of perspective because of sorrow or a tragedy. A tragedy of deep loss. Maybe a spouse that has died. Oh, my heart goes out so much and has for years as I watch the dear saints of God here at First Baptist lose a spouse they've lived with for 40, 50, 60 years and the loneliness that can set in. Maybe it's a spouse who's walked away from you and the loneliness that sets in. Maybe it's a child or a parent who has walked away from you. And the loneliness feeling that sets in. Maybe it's going through a tragic illness. And loneliness sets in. Isaiah 43, verse 2, when thou passest through the waters, we've shared with you this verse before, God says, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they're not going to overflow you. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, the time of battle, when the Israelites were always having to fight in battle. God says, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people that are more than you, be not afraid of them. Why not, God? Because I'll be with you. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Listen, listen. Has God done some things for you in the past? Are there some things that you can say, man, God has been with me back there. The God who's been with you will be with you. At times, you know what you need when you feel so lonely? You need to get in your car and go for a ride with Jesus. At times, just go for a walk with Jesus. At times, go out and lay in your hammock or sit in your lawn chair and look up at the creation, the God who created that, and know that he walks with you. He knows when I'm up. He knows when I'm down. He knows when I'm good. He knows when I'm desperate. He knows that we are never alone when we feel alone. Remember, oh, Stephen? The deacon. Acts. Man, cool guy. You talk about courage? Wow. Stephen, great messenger for the Lord. You know what he knew how to do? Press on when life got really tough. He knew that he was never alone, even when he was alone. He was preaching there before Saul. And he was preaching before an angry mob. Oh, you remember the timing of it. They had just crucified Jesus. But Jesus has risen again and lived on the earth for 40 days and then went to heaven. And man, the apostles and Stephen, you're talking about some dynamites for God. Stephen's there and he's preaching and the angry mob, man, he's, listen, the milk toast, easy feel preaching around today isn't gonna cut it when you walk through your dark valley. But I tell you what, you look at Stephen in Acts chapter seven and you see a message, you know what he's doing? He's accusing them of crucifying the son of God. You know what they did? They picked up stones and they decided to kill him right there on the spot. 
He preached with courage, but they ran upon him with hatred. They picked up rocks and boulders and stones to kill him. Do you remember what Stephen saw? He saw Jesus. Acts chapter 7, verse 55, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly to heaven, and the Bible says he saw the glory of God, and Jesus was standing on the right hand of God. Jesus was there waiting for him. Jesus was waiting on him at his darkest, deepest valley in all of his life. Oh, yeah, it's true. We are never alone, even if we feel alone. By the way, I got a feeling when Stephen was ushered into heaven, I got a feeling Jesus took him by the hand and said, Stephen, let's go take a walk. And let me tell you about a guy named Saul who became the apostle Friend, whether you are being stoned in the city, you're never alone. If you are in the swollen sea, you are not alone. If you are in the fire, you're never alone because God is with you no matter what trial you go through. Thank you for listening to the First Pulpit Podcast. It was evident today that Pastor Snook shared from his heart. Listen, you may not understand the valley, but you can know that you are not alone in it. God has much to teach you if you'll listen. Stay tuned over the next several weeks as Pastor Snook continues to share things he's learning in the darkest valley of his life.